And then I went on LinkedIn and I searched for every single company name. And I started drawing a web of how am I connected to this company? Wow. And like, how many connections does it take? And I was shameless. I emailed people I hadn't spoken to since college. This was probably like two, three years after the fact. I emailed people I had maybe gone to coffee with once. I heard from a guy who was like, hey, that person's actually my roommate's ex-girlfriend, but like, I could probably reach out to her if, <laughs> if that's okay. And I was like, yeah, actually do mine. That would be great. Welcome to the Early Career Moves Podcast, the show that highlights remarkable BIPOC young professionals killing it on their career journeys. I'm your host, Priscilla Esquivel-Bolcha, Latinx career coach, corporate consultant, daughter of immigrants, and lover of breakfast tacos. Meet me for a coffee chat every Friday as we either dive into a special guest story or I'll share my own career gems. If you're a BIPOC professional feeling lost in your career or just need a dose of inspiration, you're in the right place. Let's get started. Hey, welcome back to the Early Career Moves podcast. We are on episode 54, and today we're talking about shamelessly networking. Our special guest, Rupal Desai, my former MBA classmate, will be sharing her story about how shamelessly networking or intentional networking helped her break into consulting before going to business school and getting her MBA. So her story is a little different from mine in that I got my MBA so that I could break into consulting. But Rupal figured out how to do that before getting her MBA. She did it in a way that's referred to as an industry switch, which is actually pretty difficult to do. We work at one of the big four firms. The big four refers to the four largest professional services networks in the world, Deloitte, KPMG, Ernst & Young, PwC. And these firms tend to recruit a lot of their talent via university pipelines, whether that's through undergrad programs or grad programs. And if you don't go through that route, you're considered an industry switch. Typically, they want folks that are already doing consulting at maybe smaller boutique consulting firms or just their competitor firms. So Rupal is unique in that she was able to transition to work at Deloitte a few years out of college. She was not going through that traditional university pipeline. She was also not a business undergrad major or a finance or econ major. She did not work in the private sector before that. She actually worked in the world of politics and international development in Washington, D.C. So a lot of people in her situation probably would have said, there's no way that I can actually break into consulting at one of these firms. But Rupal totally did it. And she was able to do it through this intentional networking piece, which she calls shameless, which I would counter is not shameless. I think we're all entitled to leverage the networks that we pay a lot of money for. I always tell my clients networking is a non-negotiable when it comes to the job search. It's the fastest way to get to where you want to go, even though it's a little uncomfortable, a little awkward at times. You know, we only do great things by getting out of our comfort zone and Rupal models that so well in her story. All right, y'all can't wait to hear what you think. Enjoy. Hey, before we head into today's episode, I want to encourage you to follow us on Instagram at ECM Podcast. Also head over to ecmpodcast.com where you can get freebies, read the latest ECM blog post, and sign up for our monthly newsletter. And if you or someone you know is looking for one-on-one career coaching, you can sign up to work with me on my website. Lastly, if you're a big fan and supporter of the show, please make sure to leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. It's how we can reach other people. Okay, let's head into the show. 
Today, I have you on the show to really just talk through your 20s and how you navigated your early career years and especially how you pivoted from a non-private sector background into a career in consulting before you even went to business school. But first, tell us a little bit about yourself, Rupal. What are you up to these days? Yeah, sure. So I am originally from upstate New York. I went to undergrad at Northeastern University in Boston. I spent a good amount of my time in New England growing up. And then from there, I decided to move down to DC, worked in kind of international development, as well as some nonprofits, and then eventually made a shift to consulting. And after six years in DC, I was offered a different opportunity in LA, still within consulting. And it was kind of one of those why not moments. I felt like I had done my time in DC. And so I tried it out. And I was doing that while I was applying to business school and then fell in love with UT Austin. I have family here. I loved the culture. And I ended up moving to Austin thinking it would just be for two years. And the weather got me. So I have been here since graduating last year. The pandemic has blessed me with a very cute little puppy who's been running my life these days. So that's basically what I've been filling my time with. And yeah, that's kind of where I'm at. So you went to school, you went to Northeastern, you chose political science. I'm also a poli sci major. What made you choose that major? Yeah. So for high school, I actually went to boarding school in um, Western Mass. And there, I mean, it was a really nice school. So I was exposed to a lot of opportunities I normally wouldn't have had the privilege of being exposed to, including study abroad opportunities in high school, which I think is crazy as well as invaluable. And I kind of got the travel bug there. And I really was interested in understanding how can I turn this into some type of career. I think when we're young, all of us have this really like rose colored glasses notion of, wow, I can get this amazing job and they're going to fly me everywhere and it's going to be awesome. And and also at the time I was super involved in Model UN. And so as I was looking at colleges, I was thinking more and more along like, oh, I would love to work for the State Department or be a foreign diplomat, something of that nature. And so I had done some work in high school and gotten some exposure to kind of politics. And then I decided I wanted to do international relations and poli sci in college and just continue to explore that. And you were a 2010 grad, right? 2011. 2011. Okay. Mm -hmm. So 2011 wasn't a great time to graduate. I was 2010 and it was like still like it was rough, like definitely like the job search process and like finding jobs after the recession. Did you have that experience? How did you navigate like finding your first job? 2011 was not a great year to graduate. Um, I also felt like for me personally, it wasn't a great year because I didn't know what I wanted to do fully. And I don't really think that I had a ton of guidance in terms of knowing what my options are. Both my parents are physicians. So for them to wrap their head around one of their kids being like, I want to work for the State Department, they just had zero concept of it. So they didn't really understand how to help me either. And I didn't know that many people that had really followed that path. And so I didn't have a ton of resources to kind of fall back on. And so I applied to sort of what I could. And I knew I was aiming for a job on Capitol Hill. And so I ended up moving down to DC. And I got an internship there, a paid one that paid pennies. And I needed to pay rent in DC. So I would like leave my internship early on Wednesdays and worked double shifts on Saturdays and Sundays. And I was working at a restaurant in 
in Logan Circle in DC. And that's just kind of what I did. Like I just hustled for a while and kept an eye out for like full-time positions that could maybe allow me to stop working two jobs at once. Oh my God. That sounds really intense. (laughs) It was a lot. I, I honestly credit it to like my work ethic today. Like I feel like it was good character building. Yeah. And so were you in one of those like Craigslist, like seven people living in a house type situation? At one point, yes. I was living in a DC row home with three other girls. And I mean, it was a lot of fun. I feel like it was part of the experience for sure. Cool. Okay. So what was this internship in and how did you start to think about like getting your first full-time job in DC? Yeah. So I knew that having Capitol Hill experience on my resume in DC would just be a foot in the door. And so I kind of floated my resume around to as many people as I could. And I tried to go on as many informational interviews as I possibly could. And so I ended up getting an internship in Congressman Emanuel Cleaver. He's from Missouri. He's still a congressman today in his office. And I would basically help with all legislative affairs. So anything from answering constituent phone calls to helping any of the legislative assistants as they were drafting different policy briefs or bills, helping them do certain kinds of research or any ad hoc tasks that needed to be done. And from there, I think Capitol Hill does do a good job at understanding that there's like a lot of young, hungry people that are trying to do certain things with their careers. And so I was, I tried to be as vocal as I could at the time about what I was interested in and what I wanted to do. And from there, people helped me just network as much as I possibly could. And it was kind of there that I learned, you know, for every single person you meet, ask if they know one or two more people that maybe they could introduce you to and keep following up on that. And it was not natural. Like, I still don't always feel natural reaching out to folks and asking for coffee or whatever. It definitely gets easier as the years go on. But I mean, it's kind of a vulnerable thing to put yourself out there and effectively ask for help from a stranger. So yeah, that was really what I I was thinking about. And I knew that I wanted to maybe try to land something at the State Department or at a very cool nonprofit and learn as much as I could kind of about the industry. And then from there, I was able to propel myself into a role in international development, kind of small consulting firm. And their clients were primarily US government clients. Basically, this consulting firm worked with a lot of different clients, both in the public and the private sector, mainly doing international development work. And so I had talked to kind of a mentor that I had made in DC, and they mentioned that it would be a really good opportunity for me to understand all of the different types of work that were out there and just get a lens into the broader industry. And they really encouraged me to take the position. So I did. And that's how I ended up kind of with my first full-time job in DC. Okay. So first, I think it's really interesting that you got a Missouri congressperson's office, right? Because like sometimes you have to be from the state to get hired into the offices. How did you land in a Missouri office? So I had been talking to like a friend of my cousins who worked on the House Foreign Affairs Committee. And really all you needed were a couple people who kind of had ins. And there were all these listservs where you could see which congressmen or women had open positions. And basically, if somebody passed along your resume, that meant that you would get to the top of the pile. 
And so I saw an open listing and I emailed this guy to be like, hey, do you know anybody in this congressman's office? Can you pass my resume along? And that's how I ended up getting the position. Yeah, you need like some kind of in, right? Like you need to know someone who knows someone who's in that office or something. Yes. Yeah, and for you know, sure. The funny thing is like, so I interned on the Hill one summer in college and the pay is so low, like for these roles. And yet they're like highly prestigious, coveted roles. When you were on the Hill, like how did you feel about like your overall experience, just like being there and being in the mix? I think the experience is very cool. I think the experience of being able to see where our government operates and functions and getting exposure to like the Capitol and going to hearings and being able to like go onto the Senate or the House floor and and see what they're discussing that day or how bills are voted on is so valuable. And even to see how policy is drafted, which changed a lot of my perspectives around whether or not I wanted to work in government. But I agree with you. I think the salaries are abominably low. And for a city like DC, I mean, I just like looking back on it now, I remember when I got my first salary, I I thought it was amazing. I was like, wow, this is so great, whatever. And then, you know, like knowing what I know now in hindsight being 2020, I'm just like, I was being exploited. A hundred percent. Because yeah, when you're young and if you don't have a lot of debt, like you're like, I don't make money. So this is great, right? Like, it's Yeah. Not- I was like, I'll take what you give me. Sure. Yeah. <laughs> yes. <laughs> That's amazing. Okay. So you went through this whole experience. You got your first job. At what point in DC were you like, you know what? I don't know if this is the life for me in terms of being in that political machine, whether it's nonprofit or whatever it was. Like, At what point did you decide, maybe I want to consider a total switch? Yeah. So I, um, you know, my job, I worked for a company called Social Impact. Uh, they still exist today. They've grown a bunch. And I was doing a lot of business development for them. So I got a lot of exposure to different types of projects that were being funded by the government a lot of the times internationally in a lot of very cool spaces. So like global health or, you know, like different civic communications or kind of capacity building. So helping different organizations on the ground kind of increase their reach and impact and What I started to realize was, A, I was seeing that a lot of these projects were not necessarily being managed well. So from kind of a a project design component, it felt like we were almost repurposing old projects and slapping a new name on them and throwing some funding behind it and like waiting for a different result. And I think it was Einstein who was like continually repeating something you failed at is like insanity or I forget the saying. And so that to me made zero sense. I was just like, why aren't we thinking about this a little bit more deliberately? Human-centered design had just started being a thing. And I was like, this makes sense. Like, yeah, we should be engaging the people with who we're trying to reach on what their needs are. That made sense to me. And I didn't feel like that was happening. And then kind of along that same vein, I I felt like the second thing was I was seeing a lot of really cool stuff happening in the private sector, whether it was consulting firms or private foundations, kind of just trying different things out and thinking differently about maybe how the bottom line looks for some of these projects versus, you know, I had been doing a lot of reading around like microfinance and grant funding and impact investing. And 
it didn't really make sense to me that we were just giving giant lump sums of money and being surprised when it was mismanaged. And I also knew that was something I didn't have a ton of exposure to, and I didn't really understand the finance world that well or the private sector. And so it got me starting to think about, you know, what are some of the different options out there and what could maybe I do where I felt like I had a little bit more exposure to making a real impact on the ground versus just being kind of a cog in in a very large machine. I wanted to think differently about how we were helping people. And so that really kind of led me to almost like a two-pronged approach. One was very much looking at different impact investing, like alternative investment funds or companies that were doing a lot of stuff in the international space, as well as kind of different organizations like an Acumen Fund or something like that who kind of had merged this international development impact investing thing. But then on the other hand, and one of my older brothers, he also actually is a is a UT McCombs alum, clued me in about consulting. And he was like, I think consulting could be a really cool option because effectively it's going to give you a foundation in all of these things that you want exposure to. So you're going to learn some basic stuff about finance. You're going to learn some basic stuff about marketing and tech and how organizations work and how they think about different projects and, you know, how to think strategically. And it's going to give you a really good base from where you can kind of go anywhere. And it was really the first time that I thought critically about, okay, what does a launch pad look like? And that notion of, oh, you don't just work at this company and like continue to sort of incrementally work your way up. Like it was really the first time I started thinking about like, here's what a career trajectory could look like. And here are the different ways you could get to where you might want to be. So once you learned about this whole world of consulting, did you know about Deloitte or did you, how did you start to kind of identify firms where you could get hired? Yeah, I knew about Deloitte. I had a cousin who was working at KPMG at the time. And so I was able to kind of get like in the door for an interview that way. For Deloitte, so for all of these firms in general, I looked at Accenture, I looked at Buzon Hamilton, and I basically went and made a list. Um, Like I went on Google and I made a list of all these consulting firms, any impact investing firms that I would possibly be interested in. And I can see it in my mind right now is literally in a notebook. And then I went on LinkedIn and I searched for every single company name and I started drawing a web of how am I connected to this company Wow! and like how many connections does it take? And I was shameless. I emailed people I hadn't spoken to since college. This was probably like two, three years after the fact. I emailed people I'd maybe gone to coffee with once. I heard from a guy who was like, hey, that person's actually my roommate's ex-girlfriend, but like I could probably reach out to her if, (laughs) if that's okay. And I was like, yeah, actually do mine. That would be great. And so the way I got into Deloitte was it was through a personal friend of mine and a girl that he went to college with was working there. And so her and I met for coffee and she referred me and submitted my resume uh, for an open position at Deloitte. 
And it ended up being picked up and they called me for the interview. I love that story because I love that you use the word shameless because that is truly how you have to be to like get some of these doors open for you, you know, because like you didn't recruit through the traditional college route to get into these firms. And a lot of the times these firms recruit specifically through that college channel. So like the odds are like low. It's hard to get in you know, through an industry route, right, which is what they call it. And you had not really been a consultant at another consulting firm, right? Like at that point. No. So you were like totally fresh and like new to this world. Yeah, I had no idea what what to do. Thankfully, my roommate at the time worked at PricewaterhouseCoopers and she was a consultant. And so she prepped me like crazy for all of my interviews. And I remember the day I had my full on interview for Deloitte, I also had another final round with another company. And I'm the name is like, I'm losing it right now. It's like Kickstarter for like charities. And so it was with them. And that was like a three hour interview. And then I had like a two hour break and my inner my full on case interviews with Deloitte right after. And so I remember I went to this bar in Foggy Bottom in DC and I had all of my notes with me and I'm sitting there prepping and for whatever reason Deloitte decided to interview me for a technology role, which still to this day I have no clue how they slotted me there, but like I just went through and was like memorizing different things and memorizing frameworks and doing it all. And of course, you know, like we get into this interview and you have two kind of behavioral fit ones or like a behavioral fit one, a case one, and then you have a technical one. And the technical one, this guy was like, what are your technology skills? And I was like, SharePoint? Like, I don't know. I Microsoft Office. And you could tell he was like disappointed. And he led me through like a basic case. And I kind of got it because I knew the framework. And then he, he was asking me a couple more technical questions. And it's like, you know, that feeling when you know, like conversation is not going well, yeah. and it's like you're bombing. And so I was just like, all right, you know what, like, I know that I don't have as much technology experience as I probably should, but I'm really excited about this company and I really want to work here and I work hard and I learn fast and I'm willing to take whatever you will give me and pick it up. And I'm eager to do that. And he didn't really say anything. And he was like, okay, like, thank you. You know, like, thanks for your time. And I was like, thank you so much for the opportunity. And I walked out and I was like, I have no idea how that just went. And I ended up getting the job and like the gamble paid off. Wow. Okay. So you got this job. What were your major learnings from going through that really difficult experience of trying to apply to these jobs? I mean, I think, you know, like as we're talking about it now and I'm reflecting back on it, I think it's like authenticity goes a long way. And I think just the fact that I could reach out to all these people on LinkedIn and be like, hey, this is where I'm coming from. This is where I'm at. Do you mind helping me? And really just understanding like, okay, what's the worst that can happen is someone can say no. There were so many more people than I ever expected who were willing to chat on the phone with me or talk to me and like me being authentic and telling them my story and being respectful of their time and all of that really paid off in dividends. Same with kind of the interview process and 
just, you know, like building rapport with the people that I spoke with and, you know, being prepared, but also making a point to kind of bring my personality in was very helpful. Like, I don't think I think it would have been easy to kind of shut down in that interview and be too afraid to say something. But it was like, no, like, I'm excited about this company. I want to work here. And I really want you to know that even though I'm not doing well in this interview, I want to be here. And there might be other people here that might not want to be here as much as I do. So you went to business school and now you're back. And I know you mentioned you're doing healthcare like work. Like where did that come from? Like that passion for healthcare? Because I know in business school, you were very involved in that as well. Yeah. So I knew that, you know, like the the three and a half years I was at Deloitte before business school, I wasn't really doing much healthcare focused. And I knew that I kind of wanted to get back to it. That had been a big focus of mine when I was working in international development. And then I think really just growing up so close to the healthcare industry, it's something that's always been near and dear to my heart. And then shortly before I started applying to grad school, my dad got really sick. And so he was in the hospital for about six months. And my family is, you know, like a family of doctors. And my dad was at the hospital that my mom is accredited at. And I felt like navigating the process was an ordeal for us. And it was so confusing and nothing was clear. And coming from the consulting world where our jobs are literally to streamline everything and make things more efficient, I couldn't wrap my head around it. And so I sat there thinking, you know, if this is this hard for us, what is it like for a family who doesn't have all of this exposure to the healthcare industry, doesn't have these resources? Or I mean, like, what if they don't even speak English? Right. And I was like, it really shouldn't be this hard for patients to advocate for themselves and for families to get the information that they need. And so that kind of really stuck out in my head as I was applying to business school, because I was like, I want to change this. I want to make this a less crappy experience for everybody involved in our healthcare system. Um, I love how you've been able to merge like a mission focused passion into your career in the private sector. I think that's a really important thread to pull out because sometimes people think they like are choosing one or the other, you know? Yeah. And I mean, I wouldn't say like the work that I'm doing right now is necessarily exactly what I want to be doing, but it's a million steps closer to where I want to be. And the fact that I'm still kind of like guided by this passion of helping people and I'm still peripherally able to do that does make me feel good. And I can see how I'm moving closer and closer to like the perfect fit. Awesome. Well, Rupal, do you have any last words to share with our listeners who are trying to figure out their careers and might be feeling lost? I think just, you know, like have faith in yourself and believe in yourself. And I know that's easier said than done, but... A lot of the times, even when you don't think you're learning anything or you can't see the value in whatever lesson you're being tested with, it will come out later and you'll understand why you had to go through it. So just bear that in mind as you kind of navigate the water. Hey, are you thinking about changing careers? Then you need to head over to my website, ecmpodcast.com and sign up to get your free 20-page guide that I wrote with you in mind. I wrote this guide to help you change careers and get really clear on what it is that you want to do next. Career clarity is key to a career transition journey. All right, can't wait to hear what you think about it. Have a great week.